Welcome to the Fully Engaged Fitness Podcast, where you'll be hearing from the top fitness experts from the engaged personal training community of businesses. These include client interviews and success stories, insights and tips from our top fitness experts, and the unique approach that we bring to our clients that have helped transform thousands of lives over the last 10 years in business. Don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast so that you can be the first one in the know. Now let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome to the Fully Engaged Podcast. I'm Jeff Schumacher, your host today and co-founder of Engaged Personal Training. I'm joined today by Dr. Travis Pollan. Um, Travis, thanks for hopping on and joining us today. Before we get rolling, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into fitness, your experience being a personal trainer, and, and what you're up to today? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Uh, I'll try not to get too long-winded with this, but uh, I'll start quickly from the beginning. So I, I've been personal training since 2013. Um, my early academic background, I was actually a physics major in college, but I was also a swimmer, uh, an adaptive swimmer, because uh, I was born missing my left leg. So I, I was always really interested in exercise and exercise science but didn't know at the time that that was really what I wanted to do professionally. Um, I, I had a knack for science from like a physics standpoint too. So that's why I studied. But after I finished my undergrad degree, I really felt called to do something different. Uh, I had worked with a personal trainer as I was swimming and she said, you'd be really good at this. Like you should go and get your diploma in personal training. So after I finished my undergrad degree, I went back. I did a 500-hour program through National Personal Training Institute, became a personal trainer, worked for a year in pretty much every setting. So I was at a commercial gym for a little while. I did some in-home stuff. I did some corporate stuff. I did some um, pers like a studio, personal training studio work. Um, and I, I decided that it was really hard to work seven days a week, as I'm sure every personal trainer knows, waking up at the butt crack of dawn to open the gym. So I went back to school, which um, I, I, I found a program at the University of Delaware that really fused physics with exercise. Uh, so the degree program was called Biomechanics and Movement Science. So I did that for a couple of years. My research there was on amputee gait. So the, the biomechanics of walking, which was cool, but not really what I was, what my passion was. My passion was really sports. Um, and, and so I, I, again, I went back into the field. I worked for about a year in a, at a sports performance facility training, mostly youth athletes. Uh, a lot of hockey players, but also athletes from all different sports. Uh, really enjoyed that, but also found that the the industry was tough to to crack into, and uh, the business operations were were also a challenge. I, I I saw at the facility that I was at. So again, I was like, all right, I don't. A uh, good way to fig to delay figuring out what I really want to do with my life would be to go, <laughs> go back, back to, to school, school again. <laughs> so I went back, got a PhD in rehabilitation sciences from university uh, from Drexel University, um, and that was great because I got to work really closely with physical therapists. So the the faculty in the program were mostly physical therapists, 
Um, and the, the students were mostly not physical therapists, but we were kind of doing the research side of physical therapy. So my research, my, dis my doctoral dissertation looked at risk factors for injury in competitive swimmers. So uh, a lot of injury prevention type work. Uh, I also did some stuff with return to sport testing for ACL injuries. So that's kind of my, my two research areas. Um, but after that, I, I eventually had to decide what I was going to do next. Uh, I got a little luck with the pandemic because there were no jobs going on. So, or there were no, nobody was hiring in 2020. So I, I was able to do a little bit of teaching um, for that year, but also kind of move forward with some business ventures. So I have a, an online platform that I co-founded with a friend who's a yoga teacher, and we teach other yoga practitioners how to lift weights. Um, that's wow, strength that's awesome. yoga. And then I also co-founded a company called ACL Care Pro uh, with a friend of mine who's a physical therapist. And we work with athletes who are returning to sport post ACL injury. We have an app called ACL Care Pro. So I was getting really busy with those ventures when uh, a job posting came up for exercise science at Thomas Jefferson University undergraduate program. Um, I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a full-time professor, but the, the opportunity was too good to pass up being mm. so close to home and uh, a, a newer program like in its in its first few years. So I was really, uh, it was an opportunity to get involved from the ground up and be able to have a lot of say in the, like the vision of the way that the courses were developed and, and how we were going to, you know, grow the program. So I interviewed for the job. One thing led to another. I took the job and now I've been working uh, as a, an assistant professor of exercise science at Thomas Jefferson University and also coordinating our undergraduate internship program. So um, I'm, I'm still doing all the other things. <laughs> I'm uh, doing online personal training with a, a small handful of people, uh, as well as the Strength for Yoga and ACL Care Pro. So, and I, 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 pride myself on not only just being one of those, you know, professors who teaches, but, and researchers, but also being somebody who maintains a foot in the, the practice or the, you know, in the practical setting. So I, I can say like, Hey, here's what I've found and continued to find really works with people in real life. Not just, you know, we're going to read this textbook and then I'm going to spew a bunch of textbook knowledge at you. That's not going to be really applicable. So I, I like to think that I'm doing something a little different from what the the average exercise science professor, uh, especially teaching a course like right now I'm teaching exercise prescription. And I, I've just I've, I've tried to take a really practical applied approach to it um, and kind of give students the tools to be able to write and de design and implement coaching strength training programs um with real people so that's kind of my my mission like bridging that gap between the academic and research side and the, the hands-on side yeah that that's awesome i think you you know when you said that that's so unique to have someone that let alone has the field experience of you know coaching for almost 10 years but then you know someone that's still doing it while while they're while they're teaching and saying here's all the information i'm going to teach you you know, that's, that's in the book. And then here's real life. When you get a client that comes in, 
you know, here's how you, you're going to, you know, prescribe this stuff to them in a real life situation, which yeah. is, which is awesome. Yeah. And that's like, that's the, they have an assignment due on Sunday. I, I took a, an intake, like a consultation call that I had with the person. I gave them the cliff notes write up and I said, design a training program for this person. And like very little yeah. guidance besides that. I mean, they have, they have the lectures that we've done and the, the examples we've done in class. But, you know, a student comes up to me yesterday and he's like, so, you know, what's I'm, I'm struggling because this is a blank canvas. You know, I, I have the the text write up of the, you know, the, the intake and the questions that you asked and her, and her answers. Um, but I'm sort of like struggling to figure out, well, what the what's the right answer? And it's like, there is no right answer. Uh, you are operating on the information that you have to design a training program for a person that you hope that they like. Uh, right. enough to continue working with you after the first month. So uh, you kind of, it's a mix of giving people what they want, what they need, and and matching it to the level that you think you're at, based, think that they're at based on the information that you have. Yeah, uh, it's real, it's real, like, life, real life coaching. It's, it's like a really real life assignment. And uh, we'll see what, and I, you <laughs> know, I said to him, I, I get it. Like first time doing this, I'm not expecting like, um, a, the perfect not there is no such thing as the perfect training program, right? But I'm not expecting perfection. I'm not expecting necessarily the same thing that I came up with. I'm just expecting you to have a thought process and a rationale, and to be able to put that down on paper. And then we'll keep practicing over the rest of the semester. And then for the next thirty years that you're, right. you know, you you work in this field. Yeah, yeah. So w one of the reasons you know I wanted to to have you on is because there are so many myths, misconceptions about strength training that have kind of been like ingrained into our society somehow. You know, I figured having uh, someone with a PhD explain some of the truths we hear, you know, um, from the things we hear every day, you know, uh, it would be the best, you know, the best place to start. Um, you know, we hear things like, you know, I don't want to get bulky and you know, I'm not going to lift or squats are bad for my knees, deadlifts right. are bad for my back cardio, you know, how much more cardio should I be doing outside of this? Like, again, these myths have been just circulating for decades and like, are still being believed. So if you could help us, like, what's the truth? How do we start changing the narrative around strength training? I think we're starting, but there's still a lot to be, you know, uh, taught in regards of, you know, the truth about strength training and the power of it. Yeah. So I, I think uh, you hit on this the the dangers of strength training is what we always hear about right right uh and and i think those are overstated like if you look at the research comparing injury risk in uh competitive sports versus injury risk in things like bodybuilding or powerlifting or just general strength training gen strength training is safe <laughs> but like relative to the the injury rates in something like soccer or football like you, you're really, you're really in a good spot <laughs> to engage in strength training with the additional benefit that strength training has some preventative effects on injury when you go and do other activities. So mm -hmm. the, it's, it's really a challenge, right? When you're confronted everywhere with deadlifts are bad for your back, squats are bad for your knees. And there's, you know, you can understand why 
people have those misconceptions or maybe medical providers have those misconceptions because they're seeing people come to them with injuries after engaging the, in those pursuits. Um, but the, the, what you can kind of, what you need to understand, I think, is that it's not that the activity itself is injurious. It's just that it, there is some degree of risk when you go into something with a lack of preparation, right? So it's not that squats or deadlifts are bad. It's just that if you do too much of them too soon and you're not prepared for them, that's where your, your injury risk increases. So like getting a good program, working with a good coach who's going to, especially if you're a beginner, who's going to build you up to those things in a intentional, methodical fashion, matching the dosage and the intensity or the load with your current level. Like that's, it's extremely safe <laughs> when you do that. Right. There's uh, nothing inherently bad about, about strength training. There's nothing inherently bad about any type of fitness, right? It's just, it's just how you, how you do it. Exactly. And then I think the other, another misconception that I run into is like people thinking, well, I have to do this, you know, five days a week or mm -hmm. uh, all these print training programs that I see online are saying I need to do it for four or five, six days a week. And I can only commit two or three days. Like in my experience working with lots and lots of people, two, three days a week is plenty to get a really good training effect and to make a lot of progress. I even have a guy I see once a week and he's, he's relatively active outside of our sessions in terms of like, he's, he's a cyclist, but uh, a recreational cyclist, but mm -hmm. uh, we, we strength train once a week. We've been doing it for two years and he's doing great. Um, he was a beginner before that. So that helps. <laughs> uh, if you're an advanced trainee who's been doing it for years and then you go to once a week, but yeah. the, the point is like at the very least you can maintain what you have, which is if you think about, if you do nothing as you age, you decline your physical performance, declines strength, power, reaction time, speed, all those things. So if you're maintaining, you're actually in a sense progressing because if you weren't doing anything, you'd be declining. So relative to the decline, maintenance is good. Um, but I, I think it's important for people to realize that it doesn't have to be this five days a week, hour and a half in the gym, every session. It, it can be the, the, what we call the minimum effective dose, right. Can be way less than people think. So I, that, and I, people tend to like report that the biggest barrier to them is time. So if they find out that, Hey, you can do this in a relatively short amount of time with relatively minimal equipment. So I, I mentioned the, the strength for yoga training program that my, uh, co-creator, the yoga teacher, Jenny Rawlings and I have. We, our programs are entirely based on people having two kettlebells and one resistance band, which if you think about yeah. like the, the myriad toys that you would encounter in a fully equipped gym, that's nothing. But if you have one kettlebell that's on the lighter side, one kettlebell that's on the heavier side and one resistance band that's giving you a good amount of resistance, you can do hundreds of exercises and you not that you even necessarily need to do hundreds of different exercises. You could probably do the same five or 10 uh, over yeah. and over and be fine. But in the, the interest of not boring people, like 
there are so many options and you really don't need a lot of equipment or time, which I think are people's, some of the people's biggest misconceptions. Always, always. And, and, and with, with what we're doing at Engage, like we don't even offer a five days a week membership, you know, it's right. the, the most, the most we can, you know, want people in is, is four times mm-hmm. and the sweet spot for us. I think the average member comes 2.3 times a week. And they see, yeah. you know, tremendous, tremendous results, you know, for one hour, you know, twice a week or three times a week. Um, that's, that's it. You know, it doesn't have to be anything more. And I think you touched on, you know, you could do a hundred different exercises, a thousand different exercises, but you know, it's, it, it boils down to efficiency, you know, and if you were going to, uh, if you're, if you were going to, you know, pick, you said five or 10 exercises, what are the five or 10 exercises? If you say, these are the five movements you have to do for the rest of now, that'd be pretty mm-hmm. boring for some people that don't right. love the process, but let's just say they did. They love the process of strength training and working out in general. What are five movements? And, and you can put a number on it, you know, but what are around five movements uh, that you would recommend someone do, you know, for forever? Yeah. It's, a, it's always a fun thought exercise uh, to be like, what's the one exercise or what's the five? And it's funny, I, in, in, I'm teaching this course, I always feel like a walking contradiction because in most of my lectures, I, I try to keep it relatively simple with uh, just, just like the, the most important exercises, right? Without getting into too many circus tricks. But then I, I also share with the students uh, a database of exercises that I, I use to when I'm writing my training programs. And this database just happens to have any all of the exercises that I've ever programmed for any of my clients over the past nine and a half years. So the that list is about 1,800 deep. <laughs> um, and, and some of those are like goblet squat, like holding a kettlebell at your right. chest or holding a dumbbell at your chest, like because I try to mm-hmm. keep the videos specific to like the person's exact situation. Um, but it's funny because here I am in class saying, you know, you can really concentrate on these <laughs> few major movement patterns. And then, but also here's 1800 different things. So I, I try to, I try to let them ma- that marinate in that. Uh, yeah. But, but so to answer the question, the way that I conceptualize it is, is based on movement patterns. And so when I'm when I say movement patterns, I'm talking about squatting, deadlifting. Uh, maybe you have lunging as a separate category, and then up for the upper body things like pushing, where you're pushing objects away or pulling objects towards you. And then you you can you can make up as many categories as you want. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can talk about locomotion where you're moving. Talk about uh, twisting movements or resisting movements, but. You know, from a very simple standpoint, pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, lunging, maybe you throw bridging into the mix. But basically, those are the categories. And then within those categories, there are different variations. Um, but if you kind of want to say, like, what's the the baseline? Like, here's where I want everybody to be. And if they're not there, we want to get them there. And if they are there, maybe we can move them forward. But you're talking about like a goblet squat, holding a, a dumbbell or kettlebell at your chest talking about a kettlebell deadlift. And if the, the kettlebell, if you get stronger than the kettlebell, then you would move on to something heavier. Uh, for a pushing standpoint, like a push-up, a body weight mm-hmm. push-up, that's not easy for a lot of people to do. And so the process of getting them there is is a, a worthwhile endeavor. 
if you're talking about pulling, maybe a, a body weight row with a suspension trainer, TRX. Mm -hmm. Once that becomes easy, you know, then you can start talking about pull-ups, other things. Um, and then from a, a, a core training standpoint, I mean, there are a million things you can do, right? But but maybe one relevant one would be like a, an exercise where you're either rotating your body or fighting rotation. So something like a bird dog. And it, mm -hmm. it, it's hard to... Uh, hard to hold myself to that being the one in five <laughs> Pick right. just one but but as, a, as an example um and then something so that that's kind of five exercises goblet squat kettlebell deadlift push-up row and some kind of core right yeah, yeah. i hate to yeah. marry myself bird dog's great but i, yeah. I hate to marry yeah. myself but for for our given sake uh that's five and then maybe something that's more explosive so if you think mm -hmm. about including those well, those six things, <laughs> push, pull, uh, squat, hinge, something for the core, maybe rotational, and then something that has a more power or explosive component to it. I think that you can, and maybe that explosive component could be wrapped up into one of the other exercises. But if you can cover all of those bases, then that's a really simple and awesome way to have a, a really compact but comprehensive program and i can't take credit for <laughs> that that program design that i learned that from a friend named jen sinkler uh, okay she's yep. a, uh, trainer she used to live in philly but is now out in iowa um but that's that's like such an easy way to conceptualize it and it can really be that simple and of course like i go way more into the weeds because it's fun for me but it it is probably if you think about like the 80 20 principle, you probably get 80% of the benefit from those five or six things. Right. And you can, you know, something like that, that could be your structure of workouts every time you work out, right? right. Like something, something like that, these non-competing exercises, you can do something like that every single day, change up the exercises and where they fit in. So you, you started with a, a squat one day. Well, you know, day, you know, maybe you do that Monday. Well, on Wednesday, the squat goes down to the end of your workout, the deadlift comes up. Now you're doing yep. a heavier deadlift. You know, maybe you did an RDL on Monday. And this is really our, you know, you kind of, I didn't even tee you up for this, but this <laughs> is how we program at Engage, you know, where every that. day is a full body day. And it's for, yeah. I think it's kind of for us to know as far as those categories, but it's, it's cool to like go into them and say, listen, every day you're going to do some kind of hinge exercise. And that means one day you might do an RDL, one day you might do a kettlebell swing. One day you might do a trap bar deadlift. It's the same yep. movement. We're just messing with the variables. Same thing with squat. You know, Mondays, typically, you know, we do squats. Maybe Wednesdays we're lunging, um, but that's just a single leg version of, yep. of a squat, you know? And so these 1,800 exercises you have, you know, it's kind of like a, a tree and these root systems. It all comes back to the same, you know, you, know, you, you could write a list of, pushing exercises that's a hundred long, they all look and feel like a push-up. You know, some right. are just, you're pushing yourself away from the ground and sometimes you're pushing something away from your body. Right. And it maybe sometimes you're pushing it horizontally and maybe sometimes you're pushing right. it vertically or doing it one side at a time. And so that's when I'm, you know, either I'm educating my clients or I'm educating my students, I'm giving, I'm starting with that framework first so that they don't, they have a way to like use like this mental map or in my spreadsheet, there's categories, 
But like, where do these things fit in? Like you said, it's not just 1800 exercises that you have to reinvent the wheel 1800 times. It's really, you can boil it down to like maybe seven categories. And then these different subcategories of, is this one-sided? Is this two-sided? What implement are they using? What's the, the, the direction that they're moving in? Um, and then, like you said, maybe you keep the same five or six exercises in rotation, but by starting with a different one at the beginning of the workout, that's the one that you're prioritizing the most. And then you move the other one down and you're doing that more for higher reps or um, for, for some different kind of stimulus. And that mm -hmm. is enough to make it different enough that you, one, won't get bored. And then two, can can get adaptations at all end of, ends of the rep spectrum. So actually just yesterday in class, we were talking about that idea of full body training. And I we were doing a lesson on hypertrophy or muscle building. And I, I basically said like, the research shows that it's better to hit muscle groups with more frequency, like two or three times a week. Body part splits might be applicable to a very small subsection of people who are competitive bodybuilders who can get in the gym six days a week and blast one muscle right. at a time for an hour and a half. Most of us and most of our future clients are not that. And so I I love full body training. I That's basically my, my default for just about all of my clients unless they very specifically say that they don't want it. Um, because I think it it just it confers more benefits and it's more more applicable for the vast majority of people. Yeah, and it's just efficient. You know, we get uh, we get members that are like, was today a leg day? And I'm like, every day, every day, every is a day leg is day leg day. Here. Every yeah. day is leg day. You know, we're not doing like you said, we're not doing the traditional bodybuilding. Like, you can't walk out of the gym because we did legs because right. we want you. Listen, you have real life. We we want you to be able to walk tomorrow. We want to see you. You know, two days from now when you come in coming next. That is not, you know, the adaptation that we are chasing. We're chasing moving better, feeling better, you know, losing some weight, gaining some muscle. And we can do that, you know, with making you feel fine the next day. Right. And that actually, we did a, a practice case in class yesterday and it was from a real client of mine. She said, I really don't want to get too sore. And this person also hadn't done any physical activity in about a year. And one of my students said like, well, how, how can we possibly manage that? if she hasn't done anything, just about anything's going to get her sore. And I said, that's totally true. But we can make sure that we're avoiding high rep or, you know, high volume exercises at first. Um, we're, we're not introducing too much novelty, like all the things that could make you sore, high eccentric loads or, or lengthened eccentric periods. Mm -hmm. uh, we can try to avoid that because she told us she doesn't like that. And we want her to enjoy it and keep paying us <laughs> like right. not just the first month and then not like it because it made her too sore. So it's that, like I said earlier, it's about giving them what they want while also giving them what they need. And yeah, you, you can't completely avoid creating soreness, but for example, if we do a full body training split or, or basically a non split, <laughs> then we can mitigate soreness. But if somebody says, I love getting sore, then maybe you do give them some side of comes some sort of split Maybe it's not a body part split. Maybe it's more a movement-based split. Like we're going to focus on pushing and uh, hinging on one day and then mm -hmm. pulling and squatting and lunging on another day. And on the third day, that'll be full body. Um, just so they get a little bit more of the similar stimulus on each day so that because maybe that's what they want to feel. They want to feel a little bit smoked. And even though that's not my 
preference. Right. I, I can cater to that a little bit if that's the type of person that's coming to me. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's funny that you, you bring all these, these things up because they're, they're the exact same thing that's on my mind when I work with my clients. And also lately, as I've been trying to kind of distill this, everything that's in my head onto, you know, PowerPoint slides. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, listen, it takes, it, it, it takes a long time to get that uh, true message across to people. You know, we have a lot of people we work with that will measure the effectiveness of their workout by that soreness. They'll measure the effectiveness of their workout by how many calories their Apple watch says they burned. Right. Or they'll measure their effectiveness of an exercise by how much they feel it. You know, you you touched on bird dog being a great core exercise. It is. Um, the, the the thing we'll always hear from people is, I don't feel this. Where should I be feeling this? Or, you know, farmer carries, what do these do? It, it's for your core. You know, well, I don't, I don't feel it. Like, you know, how do you, um, as a coach, you know, how do you um, get that across to, to people you're working with that like, listen, not every exercise necessarily you have to feel a burn for it to be effective. How do you know you're doing something that's, that is moving the needle if you can't necessarily feel, you know, what it's doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I've certainly encountered that too. Um, and I, I, part of it is just a mix. If somebody really wants to feel their abs working, then maybe you give them an exercise where you're pretty positive that they're going to feel that working. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes it's like, yeah, uh, you know, you might you might not exactly feel this in your core, but I, I can assure you that your core is working really hard because what I see you doing is exactly what I want to see. I see you maintaining a really nice upright position as you're doing your farmer's carry so that it looks like you're not carrying heavy weights, but you are. I see you keeping your hips and shoulders square to the floor uh, as you're doing your bird dog. Um, or may maybe they weren't. And then the next set you say, can you, can you focus on this or that? And then maybe they do feel it a little bit more, but it, like you said, not every exercise has to leave you with this like burning sensation in the target muscle for it to have conferred a training stimulus. Yeah. I mean, we could, we can load you up with two kettlebells in a, in a front rack position on the squat. And, and that is a, you'll feel that that's a hell of an exercise, right? Even just holding that position. Right. So that, and that's the other nice thing. Like somebody tells you, I, I really love core training. I'm really interested in getting stronger core. We can get that through pull-ups, push-ups, overhead press, front squats, uh, anything unilateral, uh, where they're having to fight rotation. So it's, uh, and then you can, you can, you can tell them like, Hey, did you feel that in your core? Isn't that awesome? Like your core has to work really hard in all of these exercises. And then you're, you're, you're giving them what they want while also giving them what they need. And they're like, oh yeah, right. I, I totally felt that. That's awesome that I can get some core work in these other full body exercises. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we, we touched on a ton of things. Like how, how would someone, you know, put all of this stuff together into like a, a weekly routine? So we touched on, you know, days per week a little bit, type of movements, um, you know, if someone wants to do two strength training days, you know, how, how can they fill the rest of their week? Is there any types of cardio or other movements they can do? I know you're, you know, you're big into, you know, obviously doing this program with yoga instructors. Does yoga fit in there somewhere? Um, sure. Where does like rest and recovery fit? Like if you had to give someone and we'll use, you know, someone that is, you know, they work, they have kids, they have a family, they're, they're busy. They have a couple days a week they can dedicate to fitness. You know, what, what would you tell them 
here's how you should spend your time. Yeah. So I I think I I like, I usually in my mind, I'm like, all right, you have 45 minutes, right? Um, Less than an hour, more than a half hour. Uh, You're going to devote the majority of that to strength training, right? But maybe you want, you like to do a thorough, you probably should do a thorough warm up. And maybe that in our program, we'd have like a yoga flow that we have people do. And it, the warm up could be a lot of different things, but maybe you do 10 minutes of yoga as your warm up and then you get into the workout. And the workout is six to eight exercises like we just talked about uh, squatting, lunging, hinging, pushing, pulling, something for your core. And then you do something similar on the second day, but maybe you change the order of the exercises or maybe you do slightly different variations. So if on the first day you did a squat, maybe the next day you do a lunge. If on the first day you did a deadlift, maybe the second day you do a single leg deadlift uh, or vice versa. Nice to Mm -hmm. have like a mix of two-legged and one-legged exercises on each day. Primarily just so that it doesn't take much longer because when you do unilateral exercises, it takes twice as long. Yeah, to do the twice as long. Um, and, that, you know, maybe one day it's push-ups, one day it's overhead press. Maybe one day it's rows, maybe the other day it's pull-downs. Um, and then with the remaining time, if that's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe you do some low-intensity aerobic activity. Um, or moderate intensity aerobic activity, whether that's continuous or whether that's intervals, maybe one day it's just 10 minutes of cycling. Maybe the other day it's 10 minutes of intervals. So whatever that looks like 30, or you can do a million different combinations, 30 seconds, hard, 30 seconds, easy, 40 seconds, hard, 20 seconds, easy, 20 seconds, hard, 40 seconds, easy. Like the, the combinations are endless. But I think if you, as long as you're getting a mix of the 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 more steady state cardio with the interval cardio, then you're kind of getting the benefits of both of those things, coupled with the strength training and a good warm up. Like that, in and of itself, is uh, enough to give you a really well rounded two day a week training program. Yeah, and that that strength training part is. You know, the way it sounds like you're structuring it with all these different movement patterns that are not competing, you can kind of do these back to back. It is, that's almost circuit training and cardio as it, as you do it. Oh yeah. So that's a really good point. Your heart rate's in that, you know, low level, um, you know, uh, recovery, fat burning, whatever you want to call it. Like your, your heart rate is elevated. You're going to be conditioning the entire workout. Right. So if, if you're, if your primary goal is fat loss, doing the exercises as supersets or circuits um, where maybe you have six exercises, but you're doing, maybe you're going through all six, like A to B to C to D to E to F, Mm -hmm. or maybe you are doing like three at a time as a circuit. Like I'm going to do my push-ups, I'm going to do my squats, and I'm going to do my bird dogs in rapid succession, minimal rest in between, then I'll rest and then I'll repeat. And what's nice about that is that the squats are active recovery for the push-ups and the push-ups are active recovery from the squats. And they're by alternating upper and lower body and maybe throwing a core exercise in there, you you're getting more rest than you would have if you were just doing push-up, rest, push-up, rest. But you're you're using that time well. You can maintain a higher heart rate throughout. And that that does give you a, a conditioning stimulus that you wouldn't 
necessarily get if you were just doing what we call straight sets, which would be I'm going to do all my push-ups, then I'm going to do all my pull-ups, then I'm going to do all my squats or, or whatever the exercises are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the days are they're not coming in, you know, um, anything particular, you know, is it just trying to move more in general or is there any type of activities you recommend people? If you're doing two days a week strength training, anything else you can pepper into the week to kind of help complement that? Yeah, I, like walking is such an underrated activity and it, you know there's the whole 10,000 steps a day that it doesn't have to be that it's great if it's that could be 7500 steps a day or a day could be just more steps than you're currently taking right now so that a great way to do that is to like get up every hour if you're you have a desk job and go for maybe maybe it's not every hour but start your day with a walk take a walk at lunch take a walk after work take a walk in the evening uh, that's like 15 minutes here and there. You can accumulate a lot of steps or at the very least, like just I like I have a standing desk. That's yeah. not that sitting is bad. I, I like to sit too, but alternating between them, changing your position, like very little ways to get a little bit more activity outside of the workouts. Um, so and whatever that is that you like to do, walking, cycling, uh, dancing, you know, the yeah, hiking, are, yeah. hiking is a really good one. um the there are so many options but as yeah if if all you're doing is two days a week of 45 minutes that's that's awesome and that's so much more than nothing uh but if you can supplement that with a little bit more on the other days that that's going to be great and if you feel amazing and you want to get a third day in like you could just go if you have the a b and workouts the a b workouts you could just a on Monday, B on Wednesday, back to A on Friday mm-hmm. because of the way that the workouts are structured, being full body every day, being lots of di- non-competing exercises. Like you mentioned, you can, it shouldn't create so much soreness that you can't go back to that workout again, maybe with a day of rest in between, especially for people who are newer. Um, but if, if you feel good the next day, you could just hit it again the next day. Yeah, that's awesome. I think more this is something we we try to talk about all the time. More more is not better, right? Better better is better, right? right? So more sets, more reps, more movement, more you know intensity, whatever is not always the the recipe. You know, sometimes it's all it takes is those three days a week, and and you know, like you said, little things outside of the gym, and you know, you just wrapped up a a perfect healthy week, right? And that's the uh, the science exercise science term is maximum recoverable recoverable volume right so there's a certain amount above which it becomes either not productive or counterproductive because you're dipping into your recovery and yeah so it's it's not to say that 10 sets is better than five like maybe five sets is better than 10 because sets six to ten are just like pummeling you Right, right. And, and get the, those, the, those next five tomorrow. Yeah, right. So the, the optimal dosage might be less than you maybe once thought. Like maybe you don't have to do five sets of flat bench, five sets of incline bench, and five sets of decline bench on Monday. <laughs> you, you might make more progress uh, from a strength st- development standpoint, from a muscle development standpoint, doing a lot less than that. Yeah, that's At least awesome. For the first five years. 
Right, right. And then you can get hyper-specific and, and you know, you can unlock all those 1800 exercises that you have. In your... <laughs> yeah, but mo- most people, like, they never get there and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to we'll wrap it up here. I have a couple questions just to kind of put a bow on this. These are totally out of left field, but we'll kind of g- go quick here. So rapid fire, final four questions. Uh, first one, simple. Cats or dogs? What's in your house? Any animals? Yeah, we have a cat. We had a dog. Um, so we're, we're cat and dog people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get we, we had three cats at one point. So I guess cats, but like cats, yeah. It's it's impossible to choose between them. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, next one, podcast or music? When you're driving to work or you're walking, what do you listen to? You listen to a podcast. You're, you listen to music. You're killing me with these. So I'm a. <laughs> I like the podcasts while I'm driving because it's a good opportunity. My commute's 20 minutes. Like I can get a podcast in there and back. Um, the rest of the day, it's it's music. But I like podcasts on the drive. Okay. Uh, what do you? What are you reading? Are you reading anything right now? Are you are you a big reader? Uh, I so growing up, I was a huge reader and I loved okay. sci-fi. I but to be honest, I haven't read a book for pleasure in six years. Wow! All right, but I've read textbooks and yeah. research papers yeah. every day. So <laughs> uh, I I hate and I I've done a little bit of audiobooks here and there, like on long long drives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm literally reading like the the textbook for exercise prescription and research papers <laughs> right now. No, I get it. I get it. Nothing more fun. I I, de- I definitely watch a lot of like trash TV. Uh, All right, well then we'll go that. Any any type of TV recommendation? So my wife just started watching Below Deck, and that is like that is that's like a trash TV show. She's like obsessed with it. Um, that's like her guilty pleasure TV show right now. Any, any TV yeah. recommendations you have? for so, people? So from a more wholesome standpoint, my girlfriend and I just got through the first season of Abbott elementary, which is, okay. uh, it's a Philly uh, show, right? Yeah. It's a Philly show, yeah. which is really cool. And it's, it's really accurate. Um, I will admit that we're also bachelor fans. Um, yes. and I will further admit that it, the, my girlfriend, and I are equally driving the motivation to watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super hooked and have been for for many years. So that's my, I have no shame in saying I'm right there with you. <laughs> damn straight. It's uh, it's like it's the highlight. It's like Mondays, you know, kind of a drag sometimes. Beginning of the week, but yeah. then we get we get Bachelor to you know keep us in in the week. Uh, that's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for hopping on and, and, you know, sharing all your insight on, on, you know, what, what's the truth out there? What, you know, what is the minimum effective dose that, that people need to really get the results they're chasing? It just doesn't have to be this, this thing that, um, you know, takes over your life. It could be something that you do twice a week um, and see tremendous results. So thank you for, for sharing, you know, the effective ways yeah. we can all do that. It's the, it's the all or nothing fallacy, right? It's like, if I can't get, get in there five days a week, then I might as well not do anything at all. And that's so far from the truth. One day, two day, three days, as, as little as 20 minutes is, is like way better than nothing. So I really appreciate the opportunity to chat Jeff and uh, the the good questions. So thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. And if people want to learn anything more about you, where would they, would they find more information about you? Good home base is my website, which is just my name, travispollen.com. 
Uh, and then I'm also pretty active on Instagram. My handle's fitness underscore pollinator. All right. Awesome, Travis. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff.